Today is the last Sunday in the series of the newness of life. Um, we've been journeying with this series since the 8th of September. And I personally believe that God has been on the move. Um, it's been challenging. It's been challenging me. I know in the conversations that I've had with different people, um, it's been challenging them. And I, I totally believe that God has been on the move. And um, the last, I, I wanted to do kind of um, um, a recap of what we've been going through, but I, I, I think personally, I don't think I'll do a good job this morning in, do, in, in, in recapping it well, so I thought perhaps I'll spend some time this week and recapping the whole series on an A4 piece of paper and then um, giving it to you so then if God has been challenging you in particular things, um, particular areas that you still, there is work in progress. The beauty of the series is that it is truly work in progress because we truly believe that verse that he who began a good work in you will bring it unto completion in the day of Jesus Christ. So this idea of new creation, I started with actually God brings new life. And we, we respond to this invitation of God offering new life. And it's not just a, a box-ticking exercise that we've done it, and that's it. Um, I think I remember sharing with you the story um, that I, I, I was engaging with a friend of mine three or four weeks ago about um, the idea that as a church we have become, and what I mean is not as Cairns, but as a church we've become all of a sudden, about discipleship having to be only with seven steps or 12 ways or uh, 10 ideas where actually Jesus is inviting the disciples to pick up their cross daily and follow him. So it's not, it's not about a, a step or a way or an idea, uh, although they all may be practical and I don't want to uh, undermine them, but the, the message that Jesus gives us, even within newness of life, is that invitation to constantly be aware that God is at work in us. And I said, regardless when you are in your journey of faith, whether you're still questioning, whether you're in your early steps, whether you've been go, going with God for many, many years, that newness of life is available to you in whatever stage. And... Um, so the last four or five Sundays, we've been talking about different things that this newness of life um, affects us. Um, if you remember, Abi shared a little bit about the newness of life in the way that we think, and we can do that only through the help of the Holy Spirit. Then we talked about adoption, then we talked about God's interference and disruption and Jenny last week talked about um, this newness of life and the idea of the new home and how things currently, before we go and see him face-to-face, overlap. And my task today, this morning, is to look at this newness of life in the perspective of eternity. And the way that um, I have kind of um, 
phrased it is that the newness of life is offered to us by a well-prepared God with perfect conclusions. A well-prepared God with perfect conclusions. Let's pray and then I'll tell you all about it. So thank you, Jesus, that you are at, at work with us, in us, through us. Thank you for the newness of life that you give to each and every one of us. So Lord, I pray that your word will speak to us this morning. And any of my ideas that I've written or have not written will not come across as clever. But whatever you want, Lord, will come across. And as your people, we will be able to recall who you are, what you have done for us, how much you love us, and reclaim those truths. that the devil, the world, the flesh has distorted and stolen and blurred. And would you help us, Lord, to respond in worship because you are worthy of our worship. So we are still, Lord, We are still. We want to wake up to the awe of God. Help us. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be looking at the book of Revelation. And uh, I know we, as a church, we touched on Revelation a year ago and a half ago, but we, we're going to be looking at Revelations chapter 21 and 22, but main focus is going to be the first eight verses of Revelation uh, 21. And John carries on with this great vision when he has encountered God in a different way, and he, he, wants, he wants to share that dream, that vision, and it's a legacy to the church. Um, so this is towards the end of John's vision when he says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them. 
they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To him who is thirsty, I'll give drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all of this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexual immorals, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And then the story the angel uh, revealing more of the dream goes on and talks about the river of life and then Jesus promise that he is coming. Behold, verse 7 of chapter 22, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. And the last most powerful verse of the book he who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's where the phrase Maranatha comes from. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with God's people. Amen. So may God's name be blessed through the public reading of his words. Amen. So Jenny shared a little bit last Sunday about this dynamic of the, the not yet and the, the one that is, that is to come. And um, she encouraged us to think a little bit about those moments when we really were longing to be home, that home sickness that, that, that you long to be home. Um, I don't know um, of your experience, but um, this summer, um, in our way, especially coming back, driving back, back from Albania, um, I had some little passengers who had that longing of, are we there yet? <laughs> and uh, it is okay if that question it is asked when you're on the M32, but it is not okay when you are still on the motorways of Croatia and you've got another 1,300 miles and not there yet. And I think it's that sense here that, that there is that recognition that actually, yes, we're going home. The car is packed. We've got everything. We've got even olives in the back of the car that is going to last us for the whole year. We, we're going home. We're going to go and spend time home. But we're not there yet. 
And John is trying to give us a picture of that, what will it be like? Because he knows that the church has got a suffering task. He knows that as pilgrims here, we've got a job to do. He knows that being a follower of Jesus, as much as we say to pick up the cross and follow Him daily, it's a difficult task. And John says, kind of throughout the whole gospel and through the revelation, that far be from it that we present an easy gospel. That if you follow Jesus, it's going to be all okay. But again, the reality of longing to be there in the presence of God is amazing. And what we read and what we hear and what we see in these verses is that actually this great awe and wonder of what it means and what it is to be in God's eternal presence. And it's, it's, it's sobering to, to, to read that actually how much this world is distorted and destroyed by sin and its consequences. And it's so great to see that actually it's going to be a place with no more not yet. Heaven is going to be this place that, that Jesus, uh, that Jenny reminded us also last Sunday, but Jesus has, has told us in the gospel that he is going to prepare a place. It's going to be a place with no more, not yet. And when I said earlier that um, part of this newness of life is knowing that the heart of God comes from that well-prepared place with perfect conclusions, this is what I mean. Because... He knows the end. Victoria in her prayer reminded us about Him knowing us and knowing things to happen before they would happen. And He says here, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The two letters of the Greek alphabet, the beginning and the end. I am the one who says the first word and I am the one who says the last word. So this, this comes from that place of well-preparedness, knowing that the conclusion is going to be perfect. What does it look like? Well, the first thing that it says here, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed, for her husband. Isn't it interesting that when we talk about Jerusalem, we want geographical coordinates. We want to know what it looks like. Whereas God is saying, actually, it's not about geography. It's about relationship. It's about relationship. Behold, I make all things new. Behold, I make all things new. And this is the new Jerusalem. John is trying to, 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 to help us to have this eschatological moment, this, 
this idea of the things that are going to happen on the last days. Have you, have you, have you come across being, whether in a church setup or in a, in a gathering, that you, you've got glimpses of what heaven might look like? I've had quite a few of those, actually. I remember maybe two years ago, there was a moment that we were singing Christmas carols, and the kids walked in from that door, and they were dressed, um, I think it was an impromptu um, Christmas service, I can't remember, but, but they joined with us in song, and I, I thought, whoa, this is amazing, this is, and it might be only me, it's fine, but I'm just using that as an example, those eschatological moments where you see what heaven will be like. And that's what John is trying to say here, that actually this relationship is powerful. It's so powerful that actually there is not going to be more sin because God has done away with the old. Behold, He makes all things new. They will be His people. And God will be with them and will be their God. This is the fulfillment of the new covenant that he has promised to Jeremiah. And we celebrate every Lord's Supper until, to remember it until he returns. When God is going to give his people a new heart and he's called them by new name and he's going to be their people, his people and he's going to be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. No more tears. No more death. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the, all the things have passed away. The sin and the consequences of sin have been dealt with. And he who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. So when we talk about the newness of life, yes, we've got that prospect of us being pilgrims on this earth, but let's not get, give a foothold to the devil to be blurring and to be snitching from us the whole idea that actually we're going to be spending Eternity in the presence of God. What a glorious aspect of our lives. And let's not be very limited and short-sighted to be thinking only about our life here on earth. Because what profit has a man if they won the whole world but lost his soul? And as people, we've got this short-sightedness that we look only about the, the current situation and, and the newness of life, the way that these things become all new, has got that prospect of eternity with God in the picture from the beginning till the end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. So as we've got this picture of who God is and what He wants to do. And perhaps 
you know, we can speculate about interpretations of all those things. I think the notion of that is that actually God's presence in our relationship is going to be there. So what does it leave us as a church then? What do we do until we go to that place? What do we do when we're going to see God face to face? When we go, what we're going to do before we just... How do we use this time before we carry on worshiping Him, him from the eternity? Um, the church has got a task, and that's why I'm, I'm really burdened about this, this idea that we've got an election... We've all been perplexed and involved in different levels of conversations. Dare I say the B word and other words. And yet, I want for the church to rise up. For the kingdom of God to make sense. Because there is a lot of hopelessness out there. There is a lot of grief evil, all those things. And this is where we want God's kingdom to come and break through. So this idea of the newness of life with the prospect of eternity, I think it's an enablement for the church to continue with its suffering task. I call it suffering task. Walter Brueggemann says, actually, the task of the church is a threefold First task is for the church to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion. The second task of the church is to grieve the loss in a society that practices denial. And the third fold of the same task of the church is to express hope in a society that lives in despair. Truth in the midst of illusion, grief in the midst of denial, and hope in the midst of despair. And having this clear picture of what are eternity looks like. This should be the catalyst for the church to be what we're asked to be. And I don't, I don't think we need to have precise eschatological doctrines. I can't even say the words. But to have that yearning, that to have that longing that actually... There is the reality of being with our God, Father, and Savior for eternity. And there is that reality that actually for those who do not know Christ, they're going to miss out. For those who do not know Christ, they're going to miss out. So this is, this is when it becomes very serious because then the church needs to be salt and light to bring Christ to people who do not know Him. This is where the mission of the church becomes paramount because the message that has been imparted to us and we've embraced and we have 
really lived it out as a newness of life. It's good news. And we treat it as good information. It's good news of salvation because without this good news, for those who do not trust Christ, they're eternally separated from Him. That's awful. I don't say that lightly. But that's the truth. And lastly, a common phrase that we use very regularly in our daily dealings is that, um, and I've learned this in the UK, we don't have this phrase in Albania. It says, um, it's all good things come to an end. It may be true, but from Revelation chapter 21, it's not the case. It's not the case. So not only recognizing that we are part of this God's story, bringing the newness of life, and we are part of this great eternity, being in the presence of Almighty God, but we've got a task to do. And yet, we are challenged by the promise that He is coming again. Actually, I've been several times in communion services. I I know that some churches practice it every time they take communion, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. And there is that reminder that actually there is this promise that is still needing fulfillment. And yet we know that this promise is given to us by a well-prepared Father who comes with perfect conclusions. So, as God's people, this puts us on that place that actually we join hands and hearts with John in his prayer. And we say, Amen. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. I'm going to say it three times because I want to make it very important. As they used to do it in Hebrew. Amen. Maranatha. Come, Lord Jesus. Seven weeks ago, I said that the newness of life gives us this kind of new prayer. And we went through the Lord's Prayer. And I want to finish the series that the newness of life gives us a glimpse of the answered prayer. That His kingdom has come on earth as it is in heaven. And Christ is on the throne. Not only for one day, not only for a time period, but for the eternity. And as God's people, we 
again. Recall these truths. Reclaim them. I remember Colin challenged me three weeks ago. It was a good challenge. He says, um, do you want to share it, Colin? Because then it's your idea. No, it wasn't. It's a challenge. Um, it, was, it was the exciting fact um, that distracted me uh, that reclaim uh, is an anagram of miracle. <laughs> I, I, I saw it more as an amusing wordplay than a challenge, but if you want to be... Um... It was a challenge. It was a challenge. Yeah. Good. Good. But as God's people, we recall and allow that miracle of reclaiming to happen and respond in worship. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus.